0: Um, we are learning today. We first want to start off by thanking our parents, Yom, Yos, Esti, and Yossi Silverstein, who are uh, the parents for today for Iris Silverstein's Yortzide, Boy by Yom. Today, Yisro Mordechai ben Dov Zev Oliver Sholom, and also Le- Nishmas, the first Yortzide of Yossi's father, which is going to be coming up in the, within the next month, Dov Zev ben Chaim Yosef Oliver Shalom and uh, Be'ezra Sashem, they should have um, a, a continued Aliyos Neshomais. And uh, Yossi and Esti should have continued smachos. This is, the shav- this is still the Sheva now for Shira and Joey. Uh, so Ezra Hashem, really continues Simcha. And let's, uh, let's learn. Today our topic is the new language of the diaspora. And I'd like to thank um, the sponsors of today's Shi'ur, um, Elliot and Marilyn Lauer, who are sponsoring also for the Boi Bayom site of Mr. George Lauer, Gershon Ben Eliezer, whose site is today, God willing, he should have continued nachas from the family, for the family continues to achieve in this world, and Bezos will continue to achieve for many good years to come. Let us learn Torah. So the, the Megillah is a very strange document. If you think about it in context of all the other Sifrei Tanakh, Torah, and Ksuvim, and that is, is because it was actually written under self-censorship, as opposed to almost every other Sefer, in Tanakh. Why? <laughs> because the other Svarim that were written in Tanakh, where it's Yirmiyahu, Yecheske, all the other Sifrei Ta- 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 Tanakh were written under Jewish sovereignty. Arguably you could say perhaps Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah may have also been in this region, but Esther very much so was written under a foreign power and published under a foreign power Therefore, when we read it, we need to understand that Esther couldn't say precisely everything she wanted to say. Because if she did, that could be the end of her life. And so it's written in a way where there's a lot of subtext. So a lot more meets the eye than what one reads in the Megillah. So like as just a fascinating example, we looked at a few years ago and that is even the name of the festival that we celebrate. That name of the festival we call Purim. Why, says the Megillah, al Shame Hapur, because of the lottery, which is a very strange way to name a festival. And so there are many explanations to this, but one fascinating observation is that of Rav Yosef Zundel of Salant, Rav Yosef Zundel Salant, um, who wrote in his commentary, the Be'er Yosef, he says that the word Pur in Persian may mean a lottery, but in Aramaic means Puraya, which is a bed, which means that when the Persians would read it, they would see that this means lottery, and they say, oh, that's a very... The uh, neutral kind of language, but then the bed is referring to the episode where Haman fell onto the bed, which is the last nail in the coffin of his of of his life, essentially. So the Megillah is therefore conveying meaning on multiple levels to the different audiences that are reading it. As an example, so when reading the Megillah, we have to think in those terms. We have to think about what's being covered and what we have to uncover. So therefore, that's why uh, quite unusually, you will see that the Meseches Megillah the, the will spend daf after daf after daf giving us subtext, which is context, what's going on, how's this all working out, that's the, that, that seems to be part of the the larger discussion. That's, the, that's what um, we, are, we have to work on. So what we're going to be doing now is we're going to look at an episode which actually is completely absent from the text. We're looking at an a, a incident which has no in, in, no, no hint to, no, no reference to whatsoever in the text. It's not like something where, oh, this is what Esther meant. There's, this is an episode which, which if we were to not know about, our, uh, our effect of, or our understanding of the story would not have changed. Let's see what, what, what that is and try to give, shed some light on it. This has uh, bothered me for a number of years. Not had a chance to do some homework until recently. And here's, here's how it goes. The Gemara tells us in Gileadav, Teh Zion amur alev. The following story. So we're at the episode when Haman now is on, has presented his plan to reward. So he was about to talk about the gallows. He walks in the middle of the night, very passionate about his plans. And uh, and the king, as this, uh, they just woken up from his dreams, says, "Who should I? What should I do? So somebody the king wants to honor." And boom, Haman walks into it um, <laughs> and uh, puts his foot in his mouth. My favorite saying recently somebody told me was, "A closed mouth gathers no feet." Right, So <laughs> so anyway, so he re- walked right into it. He set himself up. And there he is leading the horse over to Mordechai's house. And you can imagine this, this sense of uh, shame that he feels. That's where our Gomorrah picks up in. Uh, and it says the following. <laughs> he picks up the royal garments and the horse. Azal, and you'll notice on in Aramaic. He finds that Mordechai is sitting in the, the lecture chamber. He's in the... He's in the the base magician, and the the rabbis are sitting in front of him. And he is showing them the halachas of kmitza. Does anyone know what a kmitza? Just quickly, quickly, quick, remember? Yeah. So it's uh, it uh, it's not an I love you sign in sign, uh, American sign language. It's when you it's when you they would take the the flour or part of a meal offering. They would gather a fistful of the, field, uh, the offering, and they'd wipe off the edges with their thumb and their pinky. And what remained would be the part that would be dedicated on the mizbech and burnt on the mizbech um, as well. Just as an interesting aside, just following this, the Shemishmal points out that the way it's the same parallel to when a, a a animal would be sacrificed, the the neck would be slit, and the first blood would be, ca- ca- would be captured in a in a cup. That cup would be then taken and transferred. To the Mizbah and put in the Mizbah. so that first blood is sort of, so to speak, the life blood which is put in the Mizbach The Kmitza is seen as the life blood of the the meal offering. Just to, to in terms of parallels, which is put in the Mizbah. So he's teaching on the halachas of Kmitza, and so the Gemara says, Chazim So are concerned. You know, he sees you know his arch enemy standing at the door. The most powerful man arguably in the kingdom with a horse in hand you know it doesn't this probably doesn't spell, good. It spell out good if the writing's on the wall by the way the writing on the wall actually is an idiom which comes from these times right <laughs> so it comes from just a previous episode but he sees what's going on <speaking in Spanish> so he says this fellow is coming to get me move away so you don't get burnt up in the collateral damage um, essentially, so, he gets up and he davens. So Mordechai is praying. Haman waits until he finishes praying. What a what a respectful <laughs> fellow! But my ask So then Haman says, "So what what were you doing precisely before? What were you talking about before?" when I was over, overhearing. Am <laughs> um, Lei. They explain. So while he's uh, he's waiting, they say to him in the, the students. <laughs> in the times of Yismin, a person would bring an, uh, a meal offering. They would bring a, this this amount of flour, and that it would give, grant them atonement. <laughs> This, is this, this statement is like such a curious statement, it says, Your hand full of flour will now push aside the ten thousand of my silver. What ten thousand of your silver, what investment was he referring to? So remember, he bribed Achashverosh, essentially, right? So he wanted his plan to go forward, and he said to Achashverosh, I'm suggesting a change in policy, and by the way, the bank account transfer is cleared. You know, so that, and uh, so, so that, so he says, that money that I used to ensure that my policy about the genocide would go through is going to be pushed aside because of your, because of your your, your comments. And it's, it's just like, <laughs> it's such a strange story from beginning to end. Like, you know, the, so it's just, the the, the, the Mordechai is davening. He's giving a she'er, like, I mean, like commits of all things. He's like, you know, what, what, what is he? Why is he talking about a kmitza right now? Like he's talking about this the, the, the this right now. And then Muhammad has this, this moment, this epiphany of realization that this commits is going to push aside his ten thousand. Now yes, he's not feeling very good with himself because he realizes that an inflection point has been reached in the story, and he is now the one leading Mordechai, and he knows that. Okay. But what, what in the world does that have to do with Kemetzah? And there is nothing in the text which even resembles this, this, this conversation. Notice, right? This is not like we're making a diok. We're saying, oh, the, 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 what Mordechai meant to say in this word, and the Megillah refers to this. There's nothing, there's nothing to talk about, right? And, and in fact, the, the, the mincha isn't mentioned in, the, in the, the, the meal offering isn't mentioned in the Megillah whatsoever. This is, this is completely absent from the text. So we have to ask ourselves, obviously, this, whether Chazal is saying this actually happened and the Megillah left it out? Or this is an idea, this is a conversation, a dialogue of ideas which is so central, somehow this must be related to the very theme of the day itself. And therefore if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves, what is that and how can we, how can we unpack that? Fair? So that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's our goal, just in the next, in the next few minutes, is try to understand what Chazal are, are, trans, uh, are translating to us in the, the story as well. So we're to look at three different perspectives on this as well, okay, so three different ways of trying to, to unpack this. Rashi already comments on this and on the Gemara, and he, he references a Medrash which co- uh, quotes this ever so slightly differently. And Rashi's, Rashi's observation is, he says on, to, on page 2, source 2, Chilchot why? b'inyanay shel yom asar huyom t'nufas ha Rashi tells us that it's all date dependent. If you remember, most of the Purim story occurs when? on Pesach, <laughs> so I mean, most, most people aren't aware of this, the whole lottery, the fasting, those three days, that, the, the, this, this episode of the Su'odos, all that's going around on Pesach. It happens to be, it's referring to the date in 11 months time, meaning the genocide is slated. Haman set this all up in Nisan, and as the Malvin points out, it happens to be that when he was doing his uh, roulette wheel, you know, um, it happened to be the furthest month and day. Was what landed, so that God was give, Hashem was giving us the time to mitigate this. But but really, the, the 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 genocide was looming essentially a year away, and all this navigation was happening um, and negotiation was happening in Nissan. And so, in fact, this year when Esther says with "sumu alai," she is referring to one of those days that are included for the three days is Pesach. So. That was a very different kind of Pesach experience, you can imagine. Okay, so this, by the way, should shed light on the fact that when you have two Adars and you need to figure out where Purim is placed, the Chazal say we always put it in the one closer to Pesach, right? And the Gomorrah says because we put Guula next to Guula, but it's more than that. It's that the Guula of Purim occurred on Pesach, so just, just to clarify that point. So if that's the case, the Rashi says. The day that this, uh, this conversation is happening happens to be on the 16th of Nissan, and guess what you do on the 16th of Nisan is you bring the Korban Amer, which is why we start counting the Omer. Counting the Omer means counting from the Korban Amer. and it was a meal offering of barley which was sacrificed then which is why Mordechai was talking about it. That's, uh, that, that's what the Rashi tells us. Okay, So that now answers which question? What's Rashi essentially addressing is the randomness of, of why, why he's talking about this particular Allah more than anything else. Right. So it happens to be because today is the day that this would have been the practice um, if he were in Yerushalayim. He now happens to be in Shushan. So that's what he's talking about. Okay. So that, that's helpful. But then the question is, is, this, is, this why is that so necessary and thematic? I mean, to say, there, there are probably many other lessons in the base meditation many other times, and this seems to be the hyper-focus of Haman's conversation. It seems to be a little strange. So um, so the Maharal, there's a few uh, um, avenues of thought. The Maharal looks at this, and the Maharal has an entire sefer on Purim and on Chanukah. Uh, um, and on, on his commentary in, on the Megillah, he references this Gemara, and he says, you know, why was it that we brought the Korban al in the first place? So let's just sort of backtrack. Like, what was the impact of the Korban al on? So on the one practical level, it's a very important Korban because it allows us to eat khadash, right? So what it is is it's, it's essentially a... A, 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 it's a matter. it allows us to eat all the grain produced in the last year since Pesach. That's what, what happened in, in Eretz Israel, certainly, in Chutz Eretz according, according to many as well. And so it, it's a very important Karban. But more than that, if you actually look at the, the Gemara and the Midrashim around the Amer, which appears... Do you remember where does the Karban and Amer appear in the Torah? Where does the Torah mandate the for us? It's in, it's in, it's in Parashas Amar. It's not where all the other Korbanos belong, it's talking about the Yom and Tavim. Then it says, um, in, in, the, uh, in the parasha, it says, And it talks about what the Korban and Omer looked like. You wave the Omer, so they would, they would move it in all the directions. They would, they would take the first barley and they would get it at night, and they would bring it to the base of the Migdash, and then they would wave it, which is not, not usual for every Korban mincha for a meal offering. And Rashi actually quotes the Gemara and Menachos and says, you know why it is? What would they do that? Well, what was the the function of this? And um, he says, um, the reason is Rashis uh, Rashi says in the Torah may be ruchos Interesting, right? So, that cool that, right, actually, yes. Yeah. So, what we do similarly to the lulav, right? Is uh, is is that this korban, which the Torah tells us, why would it be waived? Because it would prevent bad dues. Dues at the wrong time that would cause the produce to rot. It would stop bad winds. that would bring in high pressure systems or whatever else is going to be agricultural, agriculturally destructive um, to to them. So, which is interesting. So, what is the carbon essentially facilitating? Carbon is facilitating it's agriculture. A good a, a good year, right? Like a, a good a par, a good par- this year. How so? Is it because God is going to miraculously open the heavens and everything is going to be be a, a, it's going to be a year of boon? The answer is no. What's going to happen is, is the rain will be at the right times. Right? The, the dew is not going to be at destructive times. It's going to be It's going to be a good year. So the Maharal argues that what Mordechai was essentially arguing here, this is an ideological debate as to how does God operate in the world. So you Haman think that we're lost now because we're in a post Migdash reality in the post-Migdash reality, then God's not with us and the people, you know, are essentially Persians, uh, Persian subjects. Well, actually, we believe in a system where God operates through, the course, through the, the, the course of nature. And that worked when we were agricultural experts and we were farmers. And it works now when we're city dwellers in the Persian state as well. And so, therefore, we have the confidence in this. Um, in this, what was, what was uh, Haman's greatest, so to speak? What was the weapon of choice when trying to um, trying to destroy the Jews? Not the candlestick, not the library, not the right. What, what was he using? He used the poor. Well, why was he doing that? Because essentially, you're saying is, folks, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I'm going to demonstrate that your God no longer has control over you. (coughs) So says says, Well, let me tell you something about today. I'll tell you something that the way that used to happen on this day. And Hashem is able, fully functionally able, to be able to control us through the wind, through the rain, through all the natural phenomena you see around us. And therefore the debate itself is is how does God operate in the world, which is seen through this, uh, the process of the Smincha. That's the ideological debate that the, Maya, the Maral says. But That's, a, that, that's his, his observation. And therefore, the, the actual question is about how do you view events? How do you view mm. events in the world themselves? You know, it's, I, I always think about this for, for, is because like we, we always, we're so good at from-talk, right? So we're like, Barach Hashem, and all these things. And that's like, that's like in the morning when we're diving in Shul, right? And then there's traffic <laughs> and then that guy cuts us off and then, you know, and then, then we don't talk the same way as much, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the the coffee is cold, the, 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 the car, the car tiny is replacing. We use, the, 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 we use different language. You know, it's not, it's not at that point in time, you know, so we, we, you know, it's all very nice to talk about God in our lives, you know, when, when, when the skies are clear. What about when things are not working out? And that was really uh, Haman's debate. Haman says that, that that part is not God's department. That's that's just life. And therefore, um and, and therefore that's why we're gonna use the poor. We so to speak co up opt that poor and say, No, that that that's that's precisely how God operates. Well we even use a poor, guess when? on Yom Kippur, right, where, where there's a, the, 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 the poor is used, the lottery, the goral is used, because we view that, that the way that God operates through this world is, is natural. This is a very famous theme, as the Maharal says, it's a, a, psycho, a psycho here. But I think we can dig it deeper. So that's, that, that, that's the Maharal's idea, but there's, there's, I think there's even more to that to as well. You'll notice that Rashi's comment actually does not match the Gomorrah 100%. Can anybody point out why Rashi's comment is not hundred percent ringing true in our Gomorrah. Rashi may not be the answer here, yeah. But an individual doesn't pledge. Good, okay, good, so. You, can, you can't, as an individual, decide what you're going to bring. Right, but where do you see that an individual's bringing this in the Gomorrah? It says, it says one who pledges a meal offering. Good, so so it sounds like an individual's pledging, and the carbon mincha that rashi is referring to is a korban tzibur nobody pledges that that's just the way it is you have to bring it the community has to do that's one problem what's another problem with rashi as well there's another, another another problem the way rashi is suggesting this rashi is based on a medrush which is very similar to this qurara but is not precisely as Kumara. notice what, what 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 is it that a person's bringing in the commitza here <coughs> right flour. No, well guess the what barley. the barley is not flour Right, so the uh, Korban Omer is not flower. Okay, so that means to say that, that it sounds that like the Gomorrah is not referring to the Korban Omer. Right, so now Rashi is actually referencing a Midrash. The Yalkut is, does specifically say it's the Omer and that's what Rashi is superimposing on this Gomorrah. But if you read the Gomorrah in its own terms, it sounds like the Gomorrah is talking about a regular mencha. Now, it happens to be there's many regular minchas. There's 13 different types of minhas. Um, so it's, uh, there's different types of menachos. Um And they're brought in different occasions as well. But the most basic of minchas is actually the, the existence of a meal offerings, the meal offerings which come in accompanying Korbanos, they're the ones which come by themselves as a volunteer. There's the ones for Kohanim, for a Kohen Gadol, for Saita. There's all kinds of different Menachos that appear. The, 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 the meal offerings we'll call agricultural sacrifices rather than animal sacrifices. Here's the interesting thing, when you go to the most basic of meal offerings, the first time we come across a meal offering, the, the Torah tells us, um, this is actually in, in Vayikra, Perik Be'ez, source 3. Interesting. So it says that the person will bring this, this meal offering, and he brings a little bit of flour and there's a little bit of frankincense, so spices and oil. That's really the three ingredients, the three basic components of a, of a mincha. And the Gemara tells us in nefesh, In source 4, why does it talk about a soul who brings a mincha? No other comment does it say a soul who brings the caravan. Hashem says, who usually brings a meal offering? Is a person who's poor? Why? Because just go and figure out how much an animal costs. An animal costs a lot of money, and so if a person to bring a to dava, it'll cost them a lot of money. And some people just don't have that. They not, don't have the wherewithal to bring that korban. So therefore, what that would the alternative be? They bring a korban mincha. They bring a korban mincha, and bringing that korban mincha would be the way they're doing. The Gemara is saying that Hashem favors such a person. That's interesting. So there now, if we sort of unhitch ourselves from the, the Rashi idea for a moment, if we unhitch ourselves from the idea that this is a sixteenth of Nissan and it's the Karban Omer, and this is referring to really a voluntary korban brought by an individual who is who is is, is less than able to bring another korban. Now this opens up another vista. This opens up another perspective. So what's 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 really the conversation? What's the dialogue really going on now with this perspective? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. We dig this a little further. It's, this this comes into the, the very obvious fact over here that if you think about this for a moment, Mordechai is sitting in Shushan talking about Carbonos, which is strange, right? Why is he in Shushan talking about Carbonos? After all, he can't bring Carbonos right now. So you might say, oh, well, you know what Mordechai is doing? Mordechai is saying, I wish we could, right? So he's saying, this is what we used to be able to do. So I'm going to remind everybody so that when we get back there, which... He's actually pretty, he's going to happen pretty soon. We're going to be able to be proficient in that. Right? That could be part of what it is. But it could be more than that. It could be something else over here. It seems to be that Mordechai is reflecting on the process of korbanos in the diaspora reality. Right? He says, right? So He's saying there's something about where we are now. There's something we have to do. There's something that's connected to our practice, to our ritual, which relates to that. That's the, and the question is, what is that? How is Mordechai transcribing that idea of what a karban could be? To the space that they're in. That's uh, that, That's the the question that's that's being uh, asked. And apparently, Haman is so um, astounded by Mordechai's um, commentary that he feels that he has to, th- you know, he has to throw in the towel. Okay. So let, 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 you see the, the work we have ahead of us. So what is what what is Mordechai translating? So there's a number of different options, but the option that I think is most fascinating is is based on the works of the Maran his Chiddush and, and extrapolate a little further by, uh, on by the Sefer Apirion. Anybody know who the Sefer Apirion is? I just I really enjoy reading his works uh, recently. Well, I didn't really know who that is. Everybody knows it is, but I don't realize it's his Sefer. It is it is Rashi Gansreed's commentary on the Torah. Rashi Gansrid is more famously known for his commentary, his book called the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. But he wrote prof- uh, prolifically, so his book on the Torah is called Sefer Apirion. And in it, he quotes this Maharshan, extends it a little further and here's his observation. Okay, so Mordecai is living in the diaspora talking about Korbanos and the Korban of choice that he's, that he's lecturing on is the Mincha. It is a Korban brought by a poor person. Why is this the, the discussion? Why is Haman so intrigued? Why is Haman baffled by this commentary? What is Mordecai trying to convey? So he points out is that what? happens in the post-Migdash reality when we no longer have a Korban? How do we find a space for that? So the actually is saying a very interesting observation, which I think that most people are not aware of. Let's so take a look at source five. This is the Gemara, also Menachos, have an um, study test. <coughs> By the way, Korban the Menachos is about? Mincha, right? That's the name of the, the Mesech, it's about meal offerings. Menachos, the Gomorrah says, Shani Shulchan de Rachmona Kariyei Eitz, Shenemar HaMizbach Eitz. <speaking in Hebrew> this is all a pasuk in Yeheskel describing the mizbeach, and when describing the Mizbe- mizbeach, the last phrase is: "This is the table in front of God." So, what does that mean precisely? It says it says the the, the 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 continuation of Pasach be mizbeach shulchan. It first describes this edifice as a mizbeach, and then it describes it as a shulchan. These two sages would say, So in the days of the Mizbeah, in the times of the Besamikdash, we had an altar. We could bring the Korbanos on the altar. When we no longer have it, then what stands in its stead is, 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 is our table. How how so exactly? What's going on? Sorry, what do you think? If I remember correctly, they used to use their table as an arrow after they passed away. So there's yes. yes. Oh, oh, excellent. And that was supposed to be like a melee sosha for him. Right. So there was a very it's a practice which comes from, from Europe which which uh, which we talk about where people were buried in are uh, using the wood of their table. Right now, so that but for some people that could be a very very expensive, <laughs> um, iron. um But but why is that? So it comes down to to to, to a fascinating observation, and that is, is that what, what does that mean precisely? That the table acts as a misbeh. Our table in a post midas reality acts as a misbeh. Rav Gansrid makes the following observation. He says, what what, what what would happen is I would have a meal offering. I needed kapara for some sort of sin or mis- mis- uh, misgiving. And I would now come to the mizbeach, and I'll give some of my food to the altar, essentially, as a kapora for my for my lifestyle. Right? That's What would happen? I no longer have that. The dresses. I'm not. I don't live near the, the base of There is no base of I can't do that. How do I? How do I rectify the situation? So, what's, How's the table helping? So it says, "Rav 3, Do you know how it's helping? Is I am now giving of my table not to. The of Midash, because that's inaccessible, but I'm giving, I'm sharing of it to other people. I'm taking, so, sorry, that's what, what, what you're saying is I'm now allowing my table not to be specifically um, mine with a trademark to me, but I'm giving to other people as, uh, uh, as a whole. That allows me the kapora, the necessary, when I share of my food with others. Sharing my food with others is essentially extending my table, like I would extend it with God. I'm extending it with other human beings. That's what what's happening. And some, this 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 theme comes up many times. So, as an example, the Borensucker says, The person who ha'isad tzedaka Person does tzedaka is greater than any other carbon shenemar asoy tzedaka mishpada nivchal Hashem that it's more noteworthy of bringing them, bringing a karban. So more than shtaka is, is even gminas Which means to say that somehow in place of bringing a karban, what do we do? We, we share, we share, we share, we share of ourselves. It's almost as if that the, the, those who are impoverished are agents of the Almighty. So by my giving to a person in need, it's like I'm giving to Hashem essentially. Now that idea happens to be something which non-Jews have a lot of trouble with in general. Okay, So it, it comes down to, to really a very complex debate which is had about charity as a whole. The reason why Haman could not really fathom this is for a very simple reason. Um, and it, it, it depends on the way he looked at poor people and the way that Jews look at poor people. This, this debate always intrigued me because it, it is the, the topic of debate between um, uh, Rabbi Akiva and Antoninus. Antoninus was um, one of the Roman governors of the Air province of Judea and they had many conversations remembering that Rabbi Akiva ultimately was executed by the Romans. Right? So uh, this, the, 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 these conversations obviously were not had in the you know, ivory tower of the, the college lecture hall. Right. So, you know, there's the, there's much more of a backdrop over here to these conversations. But one of the very famous ones is about Bris Miller. That's always cited in the, the, the Midrush Tan Chum at the beginning of Parshish Tazria. Um, and it's very similar to the way that this conversation is about to go. And this conversation is about poor people. So here's the, the Gomorrah that uh, talks about the, the topic of Tzedakah and poverty appears um, in in Basra around Daf Yud. This Gomorrah is in the center of it um, in, in source 7. Um, so the question is: If your God loves poor people, Why is God not? If God loves poor people, then why does He not look after them? So, so we should be saved from from um, from genom. What does what does this mean? This is this is how the framework goes. Sha'al Turnus rufus, sorry this is not uh, Antoninus, this is Turnus rufus. Sha'al Turnus rufus, tinius rufus, this is his name. Um akiva, im Oyhevaniem. mibnei If God so loves the poor people, then why did He put them in such a state? Why did He not give them a out, a ripcord? So that we, as the givers, should, ha- should save ourselves, essentially. Meaning, when giving charity, it's not an act of saving that person, but rather saving ourselves, essentially. What does that mean? So he, so he, asks, he, he frames the question in the following way. This is actually, by giving to them, is going to cause you to lose your merits. Why? He says, Here I'll give you a, a, a parable to what the matter is, is compared to. Um, so the king puts a person in solitary confinement and takes away basic sustenance. And then you, you, you come along and you think, ah, oh, I'm going to make, I, I feel so bad for this fellow. And you sneak some bread through the prison window, you, you give him some water. And it says, Would the king not get angry for such a person? The, the king is punishing this person, and you're 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 st- sidestepping the king's decree. Right? You're the you're, you're called servants of God. So if God is starving somebody, and you change that situation, you're obviously changing the d- divine decree. This is a pretty what's called a deterministic way of looking at the world. Right? This person was meant to be poor and always will be poor, and by you intervening, you're changing God's plan. Okay, if you remember the conversation about Briss Miller, the, same, the, the, the way the conversation went was, Tonus Rufus said to, to, uh, to Reikiva, Does, d- what is better, the actions of God or the actions of man? And ultimately Reikiva says the actions of man. So, so Tonus <coughs> Rufus says, but I thought you were a religious Jew. Don't you think that God is better than you? After all, he creates all these incredible things. And Reikiva says, no, not really, because what's better, wheat or bread? Obviously, bread is, because it's been processed. Right, so Hashem wants us to take what He has and fix it, right? And then, and Ternus Rufus then admits that the reason why he was asking this question was because his hidden agenda was Bris Miller. If God's actions are perfect, then why are you making medical adjustments at eight days? Right, so why do, why do you think that's so important? So apparently, Rebbe Kiva says that God leaves the world not perfect, but almost perfect, allowing us to uh, adjust the pieces, and that's the, one of the ideas behind Briss Miller. You see, the same deterministic model is in turn of as Rufus's well. mind looking at social welfare. He says, How could you possibly interrupt the world? So answers Rabbi Keva. Um, Let me explain to you what it really works, how it really works. So the king gets angry with not his servant, but his son and he puts the son away and he takes away his food and then sonny says you know i have so much pity and he slides the bread through the prison window and the and the water and then will the king not now reward the person because really he doesn't he wants to punish his son but he really loves his son so in the end of the day the fact that you helped his son makes him feel good even though he didn't he wanted to punish his son so it says, we are called children, which means the relationship Hashem has with His subjects is not simply as servants but as children and if they are children then we deal with them differently. That's, that's, that's the observation that Rekiver makes. Therefore our job essentially is even though Hashem puts somebody in a situation that's less than perfect, our job is to make that better ultimately. So if you think about it, if you're coming in from this deterministic model of looking at poor people at, at, the, at the, the ills of society, then you're going to say, well, that's what God willed. And therefore, um uh, the charity is not going to really help anything. In fact, it might be seen as, as offsetting the scale, right? What do I have to do? We have to try to succeed. If we don't succeed, God wanted you to be to be, to be impoverished, and that must, be, that must just be the way things are. And I therefore, have no right to intervene. Um, ultimately, what, what, what Mordecai is operating with is, is the, the basic notion that... That that uh, this is actually a channel for us to rectify. This is something that God wants us to because deep down, Hagarish these are all the children of Hakarish Barakhu that we need to change to effect. And what's and and in fact so much so that it is likened to giving a crab on the Mizbah. That's that that's that, that's how far it is. This is why Haman can't reach into it. this is why the, the the dialogues falling flat, yes. Isn't that what they what we learned from Shahabi Tachon that our reshtadless a is a test whether we use our energies towards the right things, like helping the poor, and B it's a to get, Hashem gives us an opportunity to uh, be a creator like Him, finishing His work here on earth. Right, in a similar, similar way to, uh, to the Bris as well, right? So it's sort of Hashem creates a world which is not perfect. He creates a world which has many deficiencies and natural ills, and um, and He's asking to us to partner in fixing that as well which is fascinating because in a certain sense, which of these two models of retaining Ka'Para essentially is more profound? And if you think about it for a moment, it's much easier in the base Migdash reality to just bring a korban, and that's the way we atone Ka'Para, we yeah, attain for ourselves. But this is much more real. Take away the base of Migdash now, and now we need to find a Ka'Para, and it's by extending our table, by putting an extra seat, by th- sending food out, that's a much more profound way of joining with God's creation in the absence of the, of the, of the, of the, the, the mikdash or the temple. That's a very profound extension of this principle. Notice Kiva 's conversation is in a post-Mikdash reality. Kiva lives in the second generation after the destruction of the base of the mikdash as well. That conversation obviously has a lot of perspective in that route as well. This explains a lot of things. This explains something obviously which should be obvious to us about Purim. Now think about this for a second. Why, why why does this, 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 this now make the dialogue even more careful? Why the Korban Mincha about a person who brings a poor Korban, uh, the poor person who brings the Korban, and the idea of what, uh, what Mordecai is essentially saying to Haman is that we still have a Migdash esque mitzvah of being ato- of atoning for ourselves. How so? Through, through, through giving to others. What is this? Why should this obviously ring true to us in the Purim? In Purim? It's, time, it's because the way they codified keeping Purim is. What Esther and Mordechai said is, is the primary mitzvahs are Mishloach Monas, is creating a brotherhood, and Matanas Levionim. And in fact, the Raman says, and, and it's just a very, the famous famous Raman says in source 8, Mutav la'adam monas Right, So you need to figure out the budget, how much you got for that themed Mishlach Monas business, right? And your su'udah, right? And put, work that budget out and make sure that more than that is going the there is no greater happiness that a person can experience by helping them than by helping others. Why was this mitzvah? The mitzvah of always exists. Why is this related to Purim? Because it relates to this theme, which is what Mordechai is essentially saying. Is when I can't give the bread to God, when I can't bring the korban on the altar, when I don't have access to Jerusalem, what am I supposed to be doing? What zuchus do we possibly have? The answer is, is share your table. That's how we no longer bring the mincha to the Mizbah, we bring the mincha to those who need it. That's what's really happening and that's the conversation which is happening over here, which is when Haman realizes he's actually defeated. Because the conversation he says, is: that no matter how much I bribe, <laughs> it's not going to really work because... Essentially, Karbanas still exist. They just exist in a different format. See what's happening over here? That's what the, the Sefer Iperion says. Very fascinating observation over here. I still think it's still not enough. <laughs> so I want to take it to one last level. Because it's not 100% exact. Because the, what the again, remember, Rashi, Rashi was not 100% exact in the Gemara because it doesn't sound like it's the carbon Omer. The Iperion is not 100% exact. Why? Because he's based off that, the, the, that Pasuk, which talks about. A nefesh ki sakriv, a soul who brings, and the, Gorba, the, the Gomorrah says, why does it use the lashan of a, of, a, of, a, of a nefesh? Because it says a um, um, who brings the korban mincha is a poor person, right? And and the Seva Iperion is building up the idea of sharing our food with the poor is like the korban, but it's not hundred percent exact in the sense that who's bringing the mincha is the poor person. Okay, it's not us giving to the poor, right? It's it's, it's the wrong subject in the sentence. Okay. You notice that, which leads us to, to I think, an a, a, a even more profound idea. And that is, is I think Mordechai is addressing what to do with Korbanas in the post-Migdash reality. He really is. He's talking about what does it mean to be a Jew who wants to come close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu when there is no Migdash. But his solution is much, is much more fun. He's saying like this. In the old days, we would have rituals which would enable us to come closer to God. And these rituals would involve all kinds of, you know, things. So we'd bring an animal, we'd bring wine, we'd bring oil, we'd bring uh, like flour, and that would be our way of coming to, uh, close to Hashem. He says, well, when all of that goes away, has everything disappeared? And Mordechai says, not really, because let's go back to that korban for a moment. Why does it say nefesh? Why is it say nefesh by the korban? Of the of the mincha, let's just uh, go back to that original Gemara that we looked at that uh, describes the 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 the, the mincha source for. Let's go through that Gemara again. Amar Yisabim Nei Ma Nishtanis Nishtanis Mincha Nevesh. Why is the nefesh said by the mincha? Amar Kosh Baruch Hu Mi Dakolahavi Mincha Ani. Who brings the the mincha, the meal offering, the one who can't afford the animal, so that's why it's a poor person. Ma le'ani Alav Ki Ilu Hikriv Na'fshoy Lefonai. Why does he use the word Nefesh? It's like he brought his soul in front of me. What's the Gemara really saying? What's the Gemara essentially saying over here? Why does the Torah go out of its way to say Nefesh Kisakriv by a karba mencha out of all the karbanas? Why is the poor person given more? This, this. Inferior. Oh, good. So what happens is is everybody else is walking in with their cows, <laughs> with their lambs, their goats, and you walk in with a little gourmet glad bag of flour. Now, it could be that it costs as much as an animal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, so, but, but imagine, you know, you're walking in and, uh, and, and you're walking in and, and, and there's everybody else walking in. And, and they're bringing their carbonus and the carbonates are sacrificing and so on. And you say, and, and, and you say to yourself for this poor, this poor person, poor as in with a double meaning here, um, it says, says, says to themselves, you know, does this really count? Does this really matter? Does God really think about this? I'm kind of sort of like, you know, tier two, you know, the, 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 we're, 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 this is the runner-up prize for being coming to the base of the Nikdash. And so the Torah, the Torah addresses that concern the Torah addresses that and says, no, 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 nefesh ki sakrev, and we, therefore, what does it mean, nefesh ki sakrev, what's the Torah really telling us about that person? Ki'ilu hikrev Nafshoi. It's like they're bringing their soul, meaning, let's just dig that a little deeper, what does it mean that it's like they're bringing their soul? So they're sacrificing themselves. They, they, why is that? For them, no, it's like the color, for them. It's no so for, for them, like really going to scrimp and save to get that flower was equally, if not more, difficult for the person who went out to the to the corral and brought a goat. Right. Meaning to say, for them, in their budget and the life they're living, that was a really difficult thing to do. And the Torah is recognizing, therefore, not what they're bringing, but rather how they brought it, what they, the emotions that it took to get there. And therefore, we come to a profound re- realization, which is what matters in a korban is not what you bring, but the amount of effort that it took to bring it. That makes sense? As the Torah is essentially saying. And where do we see that in full focus? Is by the oni, who can't afford anything else. Lirtzon ochem tizbachu means, what does Hashem want? He says, I want your son." Your will more than I want the animal, which is what the prophets say all the way through. Because what it ends up happening is it turns into an nice pro quo system where, like, we just pay and we, we send up the carbonus and then our, and we, we we take care of things and we go back to to uh, to to um, usury and and misuse, and, and uh, taking advantage of the poor and the nobles living their lifestyle, which is what happened at the end of the, ba- the first base of zimikdash, right? And we just keep sending carbonus like our, and the, all the prophets. Or if you read Hoshea and Amos and Yeshayahu, I don't need your animals. I've got animals. I created them. I've got the trademark on animals. I don't need animals. Right? What do I need? I need your Ratzan. I want your Nefesh. Now, this is so fascinating. Where do we see that? We see that by the Korobah So now, let's, let's, let me ask you a question. So now, if there are no animals anymore, does, does the process still work? And the answer is yes. He never wanted the animals. The animals were a vehicle of allowing us to show that we wanted a relationship with them take away the animals, and there still is the possibility of coming close to HaKash Baruch Hu, Ratzan. Now, usually we hear this, and the way it's translated is, is this is what Tefillah is. Tefillah is to timidim tiknum, right? That the Tefillahs take the place of, of karbonos." But it doesn't, it's, it, what, that, what that means is, is not having davened. That's not, what the, <laughs> that's not what it means. It means what Hashem really wants of us is our heart. He wants us to want Him. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a couple. You know, like you, if you have anybody who's read, read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, right? They're different. You know, every every every, uh, every express needs and uh, gives and receives love differently, right? So let's say you have a couple which is mismatched, which is most couples. <laughs> they, they 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 don't understand themselves and they don't understand their, their their partner's love language, right? And so let's say you have a guy who who gets married. And he really, and for him, physical touch is, 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 is is his love language. He just, when he's stressed, he just needs a hug, right? That's what he needs. And, and for her, it's more quality time, you know, so she's, honey, let's sit down. Let's talk. And so it just, it keeps, they keep missing, missing the, the, each other's ships in the night and they don't understand it. And so he says to her, listen, you know, when I've had a really stressed day, all I just want is a hug. I just need to be held. I need, I need, I need, I need a a little bit of support. And she's like, okay, so you, you tell me when it is that you need to be hugged, right? We'll make a we'll make a chart, right? So we we'll, you'll we'll tell me is it like you know is it after Monday work and like I, I, so whenever you tell me you need a hug I'll give you a hug, right? <coughs> He's gonna say just forget about it. <laughs> Why? What's he essentially saying is she's not addressing what it is that he wanted. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be he wanted, he wanted a hug, right? But she's not giving him that. What is she giving him? She's saying I'm giving you a chart. That's right, That's not what. He, so that, that's essentially what's happening with Davening as well. The same thing. Think about that for a moment. God, I davened! <laughs> right, because I, I didn't want you to, I brought a car, but I didn't want you. What did I want? I wanted you to love me. I wanted you to, I wanted you to have a connection with me. I wanted you to show me that this really mattered. That digging that where the at the time the of the Basemirosh there was that that flower and finding a way to to bring that far because you cared about me, Or whether it's after the basic ministry exists and the, uh, that you, you, you took out time because you wanted to meditate and think about how your day is going to look a little better because you want me in it. That's what I want from you. I don't want a chart. I don't want to. Say, I don't want to have a full checklist of you know of of, of, of having having the, 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 this week. That's, that's great. It's nice to say the words, but I don't want the words. That's again a physical ritual. I want l'ritzonahem. And that's what, that's what Mordechai is essentially saying. Mordechai is, is telling, telling Haman that, you know what? The carbonus may have disappeared. And all the, the physical couching of that reality has gone. But the heart of what Hashem wants from us is never going to disappear. We still have the capacity to be able to come close to our college. And I'll tell you why. Because the carbon Mincha tells me that it wasn't about what you're bringing. It's about how you bring it. Why it matters to you. I remember the, the, there's just one of the most beautiful quotes. It's close of this is from Alan Payton. Alan Payton was actually a South African author who wrote a book called *Cry the Beloved Country*. If anyone wants to read it, it's a, it's a terribly sad novel, very, very famous novel. It's actually turned, uh, made into a movie. It's, a, it's, it's, it's uh, so at a complicated time in in, in, uh, in the history of the, of the country that I grew up in. But he, he, he makes the following comment, and he says the the following: When I get up there, that's uh, that's referring to heaven which is my intention, the big judge will say to me, where are your wounds? And if I, if I haven't any, he will say, was there nothing to fight for? I couldn't fa- face that question. What essentially he's saying is, and I just think about this for a moment, is, is there something we care enough about in the world that we're willing to run to? Is there something worth getting wounded for? Is there somebody, is there a relationship, does our relationship with Hashem, does it matter enough to put ourselves and our heart into it? Always, just we're going to flow with the convenience of life. We're just going to flow down the river and end up whichever port we end up on. And that was what Mordechai was saying. Is in the absence of the base of Migdash, the relationship of Hashem never disappeared. And therefore, the argument of Mordechai and Haman essentially, this dialogue is saying, is how does a Jew exist in the diaspora reality? Right? In the Maharal's view of it, he's saying, I understand that it, that Hashem operates through nature. That was what the Maharal was saying. Right? The the Ruach HaSrois. That's level number one that Priyon was saying that it, uh, that, that existence in, in in it in reality is that our t- table turns into the Mizbah and therefore by helping those who God put out there is an essentially an extension of service in the base of Midash. but this, this this idea is even deeper than that and that is is that it's actually absent of all the physical activity because our relationship with God is not dependent on physical activity. It expresses itself in physical activity, but it comes down to uh, what's, what's in the heart. And that's what the, uh, the essence is over here, which I think is a tremendously profound lesson as to what it means to live in Persia when you can't access the best of as well. Sorry, yes. Isn't there that carry over of people in Kabbalah and God? <coughs> uh, yes, 100%. 100%.